0: Let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, as we continue in our series, The Great Exchange, Um, the songs we have sung this morning have been great preparation of our hearts to uh, hear from God's Word, and I trust that you've come uh, with an expectancy to hear what God has to say as we open His Word and look into it. Today, the Great Exchange series we're in has four parts, and um, the first two parts were really leading us to the why that this great exchange that Christ did for us was necessary, and uh, then on Good Friday, this coming Friday, we'll take a look at the how, and um, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord, and that will be the text for uh, Good Friday, and then on Easter Sunday, we'll take a look at the wow, and uh, Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Uh, that's what the work of the gospel, that's what the work of Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And so uh, we're going to dive into those things on this coming week. I trust that uh, you're planning to be here for those as well. This whole idea of the great exchange comes from 2 Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But today we wanna talk about the fatal exchange. And um, we find it in Romans chapter three. So you got your Bibles open, I trust, let's stand together. We wanna honor God as we read from his word. Romans three, I'm gonna start at verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you for these amazing verses that Paul wrote to the church in Rome and but Father, that Paul wrote so that we could see and we could hear and we could understand just the total mess that we find ourselves in separated from you in our sin and setting the table for what the Lord Jesus Christ would do on Good Friday and on Easter his death, and his resurrection so that we could have life. So, Lord, guide us as we look in your word today. Would you give us ears to listen attentively to what your word says and minds, God, to understand and comprehend. But then, Lord, hearts that would live out passionately what you've called us to and what you've done in us through the work of Jesus Christ. Do this work, and not for the fame of us, but for the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen, amen, well thank you, you can be seated. That word exchanged, defined as an act of giving one thing and receiving another, remember last week we talked about the reality that that Christ would exchange all that he had and all that he was, his righteousness, his holiness, all that for our sin. Um, My idea of an exchange is I give something, I get something of equal value. Um, Yet when God made the great exchange, uh, he gave his son so that a wretch like me could have salvation. And that should speak to us boldly and strongly to how much God loves us and how much God cares for us and his passion for us. Uh, Last week we took a look at the exchange uh, that was the exchange of his glory for our own. We exchanged his glory for our own. This week we're going to take a look at the fact that we exchanged righteousness, a relationship with God. Adam and Eve in the garden with fellowship with Him, and they exchanged it for sinfulness. And uh, and so today, the fatal exchange. Uh, four things or a few things we want to see. Here's the first. The first one: righteousness defined. Now, what is this idea of righteousness? A man was right with God. And now because of sin, and all have sinned, we find ourselves sinners. So what is righteousness? What does does God expect? What is the standard that God sets? And uh, righteousness is the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. Righteousness is is the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. It means to be upright. It means to be uh, blameless. However, the Bible clearly states that humans, you and I, can never achieve that on our own effort. We even find that in our text in verse 20 where it says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The best that we can ever do and even uh, fulfilling the law to the best of our ability will really only bring us to the place of understanding that we are sinners who need a savior. The bad news is that perfect righteousness is not possible. The good news is that true righteousness is possible for mankind and it is possible through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're coming to next weekend. That's the focus of of next weekend as we come back together. Uh, But today, we take a look at the reality that righteousness, a right walk with God, was given up, was set aside uh, for sinfulness. And so that's righteousness defined. Here's the next thing. A righteousness demanded. Righteousness demanded. It was demanded because of the fall of man. I got three P words for you here. The first word is the problem. Uh, let's get the problem stated so that we can figure out what the solution will be as we get through Easter season. The problem is the fall of man. We find it um, in verses Genesis 3, verses eight to 10. Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit Uh, they now are realizing some things have changed in their lives. And in verses 8 to 10, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord had called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam and Eve hid themselves thinking they could hide themselves from God. Uh, we do that a lot. We, um, we try and hide ourselves from God when we find ourselves in sin by not going to church, by not reading the Bible anymore, by not praying. If I can just kind of get God out of my life, I won't have to deal with the things that are going on in my life. Sin causes us to want to hide from God physically, emotionally, spiritually, because we know we are are guilty. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they delighted to walk with God. God came in the cool of the day, and as God had before, and they had walked with him, and they had fellowship with him, and and now they have sinned, and now they are hiding from him, and now they don't want to have anything to, to do with him. You hear people say the oldest profession in the world Uh, they talk about prostitution. The oldest profession in the world is not prostitution. As a matter of fact, the oldest profession in the world is gardening. Uh, That's why God put them in the garden, and they were gardeners. Uh, The second oldest profession in the world is not prostitution, but it's the clothing industry. Um, uh, They were to take care of the garden, but after they in sin. The next thing they're trying to do is figure out how you sew fig leaves together, so that you can sell them at the mall. And uh, because now they realize they're naked and they need to be, they they need to be clothed. The nakedness of your sin must be covered. And the question for all of us as we go through this Easter season and through today is: Are you covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Are you dressed in the robes of righteousness alone? You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, a righteous relationship was destroyed. Adam walked with God. Adam had fellowship with God. And now he is spiritually dead. It was all sacrifice because man wanted self more than man wanted God. Man wanted sin more than man wanted righteousness. In Romans 5 verse 12, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, that's Adam, through the one man, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all have sinned and so Adam's sin was his sin but it was placed on all of us for all have sinned in the first Corinthians 5 21 for as by a man came death by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead and that's the great news that's to come for us but Adam and Eve now find themselves in the garden trying to cover themselves up because they know they are naked and and God now has to make the first sacrifice an animal and make skins for them uh, to wear to cover up their nakedness and uh, what are some of the results of the the fall of man? They're numerous and they're far reaching uh, but here's a few, here's five, here's the first one. Man is now separated from God. We're now separated from God. That relationship that Adam and Eve once had, they no longer have anymore. There's a separation. There is a spiritual death that they can't fix. There is a sinfulness in their lives that they can't remedy. They are separated from God. Here's another one. Because of the fall, death becomes reality. We hear about death all around us and we hear about the wars and the rumors of wars and all creation was subject to death. All men die. All animals die. All plant life dies. Worse still, we not only die, but if we die without Christ, we experience eternal death. And as the result of the fall, as a result of sin, death becomes reality. Here's the third thing. Because of the fall, we lose sight of the purpose for which we were created. We were created to bring glory to God. That was last week's message. We were created to bring glory to God and we took the glory on ourselves. We took what was meant for God and we brought it upon ourselves. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And, and so that's what Corinthians says. That's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. That our chief end, our goal, what we strive for, what we live for, is not to get more things in life, but not to be better off in our life, but to give glory to God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, give the glory, bring the glory, do it all for the glory of God. But sin has broken that. Sin has destroyed that, and man has lost sight of his purpose. Man has lost his innocence. That's the fourth thing. Man lost his innocence. When Adam chose to rebel against the Creator, he incurred the penalty of physical and spiritual death. His mind was darkened by sin, as are the minds of everyone who has followed sin's Adam. Our innocence is gone. And the last thing I would say, among many others, is the fall produced in humans, a state of depravity. We're gonna come back to that in this text about the reality of our sin creates in us a, a state of depravity. Well, that's the problem. The problem is original sin. The problem is Adam's sin. And, but the next P is that it's personal. It's personal. The problem was Adam's sin, but it's personal. It's for us. For all have sinned. Well, there isn't anybody who's righteous. And we're going to drive through that in just a minute. We dive back into the text. But in 1 John 1, 7 to 9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all and all kinds of sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And So if you're here today and you think you've got it all figured out, you think, well, I'm not a sinner. I'm not." A... You might be a sinner. You might mess up. You might be, but I don't. Now, that verse says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You're only deceiving yourself because everyone has sinned. Everyone needs a Savior. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this problem that is created in the sin of Adam and Eve that is passed on to the entire world, we need to understand it is our problem. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, you would have you and your selfishness, you, you would have chosen self over God. The problem is personal. But here's the next word it's called propitiation. Don't ask me how to spell it, it's just called propitiation. The reality of the problem of sin and the personal sin is that God's wrath had to be satisfied. And that's what the word propitiation means. It means to satisfy the wrath of God. And it also brings with it the idea of restoring the relationship. Last week we talked about in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is poured out on mankind because of our sin. Why did Jesus Christ have to come? Because we sinned, and God's wrath is poured out on us. And Easter, Good Friday, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so that the wrath of God will be satisfied. That's the great news that we're going to see next week. But this idea of God's wrath, we must not forget that the wrath of God is completely righteous. Wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. God is holy. God is in heaven. We are sinners. We are separated from him. And his wrath is poured out on us. And yet we come to 1 John 4, 9 and 10 and this is the love of God was manifested among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, because we didn't. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God sent his son to satisfy the wrath of God. What an amazing truth. What an amazing hope for followers of Jesus Christ. And when you hear this message, you might think, well, this is a message for unsaved people. This is a message for people who need to come to Christ. And and it surely is. But it's a great reminder to every one of us who's in the room who's put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the wrath of God for your sin was satisfied in Jesus Christ. It should bring us to our knees in humility and thanksgiving and praise and adoration for all God is and all he has done And what he has accomplished for us, righteousness is defined and righteousness is demanded because the wrath of God had to be satisfied. And now we dive back into our text, righteousness defiled, righteousness defiled. That's really what this whole text is about. In verses 10 to 12, it says, as it is written, that none is righteous, no, not one no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have sinned and turned aside, together we have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Righteousness defiled, the first thing we want to see is the universality of sin, the universality of sin. That's what verses 10 to 12 talk about. In the, whenever it says in the Bible, as it is written, that's how verse 10 starts, and really the rest of our text are all things that Paul took from the Old Testament, as it is written, and this is found, this first part is found in Isaiah, or excuse me, Psalm 53, 1 to, one to three. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity, there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have been corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so if you think you're the special one that's left over, not even one. Well, what about not even one? Yeah, but Not even one. You think you're the exception? You're not the exception. You need Christ just as much as the person beside you needs Jesus Christ. He goes through and he uses some words to describe this. He says, uh, we are all unrighteous. He says, none is righteous. When God finds none righteous, it's because there are none even Adam, who had this relationship with God and falls in his sin, is now dead in his trespasses and sin. And any righteousness he had, any walk with God he had, is gone. There is none who is righteous. Isaiah 53, where Isaiah says, All we like sheep, not some, all. There's none righteous. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. How many? Everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The universality of sin is all are unrighteous. Uh, The next part of the verse says, um, no one understands. No one understands. How many people understand? No one understands. What do I think I, no one understands we don't understand what we don't understand God we don't understand his ways we don't understand our own condition and we don't understand the consequences there is none who is righteous not even one Um, there is no one who understands until the Lord Jesus comes and it's revealed to us even the law was just a picture of what would come there is none who understands no one understands no one seeks for God Well, I sought for God. I I tried to reach out to God. No, you didn't. No one seeks God. There is none who is righteous. We are all enemies of God. The fatal flaw of the seeker movement is that somehow it is we're getting to God. We don't get to God. God got to us in Jesus Christ. You had no desire to know God. Yeah, but no, no, Like I had this thing in my heart. I wanted to have a spiritual journey, and then, and then, and then I met Jesus. Yeah, because God started that. You didn't begin that. God, no one seeks after God. The universality of sin is, that story is true for everyone, anyone. We seek after things, and we make idols. We, um, we might find some form of religion. We look for spirituality but no one seeks after God. The verse goes on and it says in verse 12, all have turned aside. Not some have turned aside, all have turned off the path. And the path that we then go for is a path of success or riches or fame or some kind of spirituality. And and we go and we turn off the path. Who? Everyone does that. Everyone has turned off of the path. And the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Why? Because we've all turned off of the path. The universality of sin. These verses are strong. They say all, all, no one, no one, all. And then he goes on. How many people do good? None, none do good. What? Yeah, no one does good, not even one. Well, you say, well, pastor, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Lots of people do good stuff. Lots of people do good things. Like I, I, I did some good things, I, I supported the United Way, I helped a little old lady across the street, I, I didn't kick the cat, I, I've done lots of good things. It's always about the context of scripture. And what's the Bible talking about? Here we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about separation from God. No one does any good that leads to righteousness. No one, no one. And then he exclaims that if that wasn't enough, all have turned aside, together have become worthless, no one does good, and then he throws in the exclamation, not even one. I'm a sinner by birth. I'm a sinner by practice. There is none who is righteous, not even one. And so that's the idea of the universality of sin, everybody. But now we want to take it into us and make it very personal, and that's the totality of sin. We exchange righteousness for sinfulness, and now we'll take a look at the totality of sin. It's found in verses 13 to 18. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the idea of total depravity. Total depravity. That's what the theologians call this condition we find ourselves in. So let me read you a quote about it. It helped me to best understand it. This passage is one of the most forceful in Scripture that deals with the total depravity of man. Listen, total depravity does not mean that every person is as bad as he or she could be. It means that man fails the test of pleasing God and that his sin has affected every part of his or her being and consequently, there is nothing anyone can do to commend him or self to a holy God. Let me read the last part of that again. Total depravity does not mean that every person is as bad as he or she could be. It means that man has failed the test of pleasing God and that his sin has affected every part of his or her being and consequently, there's nothing anyone can do to commend himself or herself To a holy God. We sin because we have a sin nature. Man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 says. Man is born in transgression and sin. Psalm 51.5 says. Unregenerate man is held captive by a love for sin. John 3.19 says. It doesn't mean that every person is bad or he or she could be but it means that the sin that is in us has hit every single part of us. Because you might say, well, you know, I've I've never raped anybody. I've never murdered anybody. I've never shot anybody. I never wiped out a family. I've never been a drunk driver. No, but the sin you have goes all the way through you. It permeates every part, every part of a man, his mind, his will, his emotions, his flesh have all been corrupted by sin. In other words, sin affects all areas of our being including who we are and what we do. I'm gonna try and give you a picture of it without making a mess and getting any of this on me but um, if this is what we looked like, pure, I told some folks up at the front we're gonna do a new form of baptism this week and throw that around, That's not what this is about. It's about an illustration of total depravity. If this is what we were like before sin, right? And then sin enters our life. The sin that enters our life, it affects every single part of us. There's not any part that's not left unaffected. Could I put more green in and make it darker? Could I put less green in and make it less? Yeah, yeah. But any green in takes us from being spotless, from being righteous. Now, total depravity is the picture that the sin that's in us affects all of us. So not only does it affect everyone in mankind in universality, it affects us in ourselves. Because when there is any sin in us, it affects all of us. That's the picture of total depravity. And you can't fix that. You can't make that right only Christ can. And then, so Paul goes on and and he gives us the picture of this. Um, It was Warren Wearsby who said, uh, Paul's look at the human condition from top to bottom, an x-ray of the study of a lost sinner. And he goes through and he gives some pictures. Remember, he has said earlier when he said, as it is written, each of the things he's about to say comes from the Old Testament. And he talks about us. He talks about our sinful nature. He talks about our separation from God. And he does a kind of a quick overview of our body. Uh, Here's the first thing that he talks about in uh, verse 13. He says, their throat is an open grave. Their throat is an open grave. Well, where does he get that from? Psalm 5 verse 9. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. When you go to the doctor and you're not feeling well, he says, open wide. He wants to look in and see down your throat. He wants to look at your tonsils. He wants to see what's going on in your throat. When I was a kid, I used to get tonsillitis once or twice a year, and my tonsils would just swell up. It was like they were trying to join each other in the back of my throat, and and, um, it was painful, and it wasn't good, and it made me sad and angry and hurt. And um, your throat is like an open grave. What do you know about an open grave? grave. Remember when Lazarus had died and Christ comes and they're going to raise Lazarus from the dead before he dies and they're they're worried about rolling the rock back. Why? Because it was going to stink. And that's how you're described. That's how we are described without Christ. We're described as an open grave, as a smelly mess, a rotting corpse, the throat, He talks about the tongue. Where does he get that from? It's also found in Psalm 5, verse 9. The last part of the verse says, they flatter with their tongue. The next thing the doctor says when he says, open your mouth, he says, stick out your tongue. And um, the tongue does all kinds of evil. In James chapter 3, verses 5 to 8, it says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of How about your tongue this week? What did you say this week without thinking, without giving prayerful consideration? Who did you speak to with hurtful words? You can't tame the tongue. And outside of Christ, this tongue is a loose, it's a a flame that sets a fire that destroys. And you know the old thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's not true. Broken hearts all over this room, broken hearts all over the world because of the tongue. And so Paul, as he goes through and he talks about the fact of our own personal sinfulness, he talks about our throat, he talks about our tongue, and then he goes on, he talks about our lips It says in verse 13, the venom of asps is under their lips. Where do you get that from? Psalm 140, verse 3, they make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Man's lips are as poisonous as a cobra and the fangs of a, of a snake are inside until it reaches out to bite you. And then the fangs come out and the poison goes in. And, and Paul talks about the fact that every person in the world has these fangs. And we use them and they destroy people and they're poison. Psalm 141.3 says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. That's the next thing. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. And so Paul talks about the mouth as he does this x-ray of us and so much of this is around our head but the mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Where did he get that from? Psalm 10 verse seven. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. In Matthew 15, 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. And um, what comes out of your mouth is really just a, is just a symbol of what's going on inside your heart. And so Paul says, everyone has sinned. And now he's saying everyone is completely sinful. He gives a couple more pictures. He gives a picture of your feet. Um, their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet, f- their feet are swift to shed blood. Where did he get that? Isaiah 59, seven and eight. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. And no one who treads on them knows peace. And look at our, look at our society and the results of ruin in misery instead of peace as we run. The world runs to do what is evil. In Galatians 5 it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One more picture he gives is the, uh, the picture of the eyes. Um, in the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Where do you get that? Psalm one. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. There's no talking of a healthy respect. There's no honoring God. There's no fear of God. There's And man just goes on and does what he wants. Why? Because man has exchanged God's glory for his own glory. Man has exchanged righteousness for sinfulness. And what we find in our eyes, in our society today, and how they take us to sin, and there's no fear of God. And yet in Matthew 10, it says, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And where do you find your eyes going? Even as a follower of Jesus Christ, where do you find your eyes going? I tell you this right now. Our eyes are drawn to things that are unrighteous. Our eyes are drawn to things that are sinful. And it's a picture of the sense of of who we are without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we had to have Easter. It's why Christ had to come. It's why he had to die. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, none righteous, no, not one. But we are totally sinful. It's just not everybody. It's all of us. And it's me. And it's complete without the work of Jesus Christ. We exchange righteousness for sinfulness and the result is judgment. Judgment caused by sin, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. We're gonna be held accountable to God. We're gonna give an answer. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law, what comes? The knowledge of sin. And the Old Testament and the laws and the sacrifices and all of it brought us and helps us to understand why Christ had to come because at the end of it, it brings us to the fact that I'm a mess. I'm a wretch. I have no hope. I exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. I exchange righteousness, mankind exchange righteousness for sinfulness and that's who we are without Jesus Christ we are under the judgment of God whose wrath must be satisfied. Galatians 2.16 says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Adam tried to make himself presentable to God by making a covering. He failed. Man tries to make himself acceptable by go- to God by doing all kinds of things, hoping he gets to God and God will somehow go, well, it's okay. It's not okay. The law having been broken condemns us. It can never save us. It only brings us to the place of understanding our sins. Well, so what? So what? The good news is that it's not all bad news. Right? The good news is it's not all bad news. And we exchange righteousness for sinfulness. And that's the reason why Christ had to come, and that's why he came, and that's why he shed his blood, and that's why he died, and that's why he rose again. The good news is it's not all bad news. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ came to pay a price that we couldn't pay. Christ came to do what we can't do, Christ came to offer eternal life to anyone who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Who, all, all, none is righteous, no, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, personal, whoever believes in him will not experience the wrath of God, will not perish. For God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Will have eternal life. The great news is it's not all bad news. But we have to understand the bad news before we understand the working of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he has accomplished for us before we would come and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone until you get to the place of understanding you're a mess and you can't fix it. You don't need a savior. But when you understand what Christ has done, when you understand the condition you're in, then you come to the place Where you'll say, I will transfer my trust in what I thought was gonna get me to God and it's taking me nowhere and I'll put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. He came that you can have life and you can have it abundantly and you do it by accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What an amazing thing. I don't have to work for this. I don't have to try. I don't have to perform at some level. This is about what Christ did. And when I put my faith in Christ, his righteousness is put on me and my sinfulness is put on him. If this doesn't, this thought, what I'm about to say doesn't blow you away, you need to just go back and start reading your Bible all over again. You're going to, here this. is, you're going to stand before God one day. And he's going to look at you, and he's not going to see any sin. Alex, do you realize that? God's going to, look. I know you're a pretty good guy, but I know you're not a perfect guy. You're a sinner just like I am. And God will look at you, and he won't see any sin in you. Why? Because you were justified. In salvation, you were made just as if you had never sinned. Did you sin? Yes, you did. But in an act, a legal term, he will look at you as if you never sinned. White as snow. Why? Because he's going to look at you through the work of Jesus Christ. And so follower of Jesus Christ today, this message is about the gospel. This message is about our hopelessness. This message is about, you're like, well, no, but I've already trusted Christ. I have. Thanks, Pastor. It was a great reminder. Hey, Followers of Christ, we live for the glory of God. The thing that we stole, now we live for that again. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Follower of Christ, we are made righteous through salvation and justification. We should be on our faces before God in thanksgiving and praise and adoration because of what he did for us. And then follower of Christ... We are to live righteously. We are to live out the working that Christ has done for His glory and for His fame. First Peter 2:24, and I close with this, says, "He himself bore our sins in His body on the tree." That's Good Friday, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin. That thing that's still ruling in your life, that thing that although you've trusted Christ, that we would die to sin, we would hate our sin, and we would live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. The fatal flaw man chooses sinfulness every time. All man. All man. All man completely. But Christ came so you could have life and you can have it abundantly. The fatal flaw is dealt with in the finished work of Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for Romans chapter 3. What a hard text on one hand. And yet what an amazing text. Because the good news is that it's not all bad news when we understand ourselves, when we understand what we have done, when we understand how we are separated from you, when we understand there's nothing we can do to fix it, but then we understand that Christ came so that it all could be made right. Christ came so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly, Lord. For the person who's here today who's never trusted Christ, would they see Jesus Christ, their need for the Savior, and simply put their trust in Christ alone for their hope and their salvation? And as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, would you break us of ourselves? our own pride, our own arrogance that still gets in the way? Would we understand as sinners we get to come before you, an awesome, holy God who loves us? Would we come in humility and thanksgiving? And Father, as we consider in this week what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, we will will come and reflect on Good Friday. We will rejoice next weekend on Easter because we were hopeless, wretched messes who exchanged all that you had given to us for all that we thought we wanted. And you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to make it all right. God, do that work in us, change us, that we would desire to be more like our savior in everything we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.